As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, and this is the second time today that I've now done this introduction because I had a podcast set to go and then the commanders made like a bunch more moves after the ones they made earlier. So I'm going to talk about that again. We're going to are going to talk about everything that happened. We're going to talk about a new GM or new front office look, some new hires, including a former head coach joining the staff. And Al Galdi will join me in a little bit to discuss a bunch of stuff. But right now, joining me here to break down everything that kind of went down today in this whole coaching staff is our pal Nikki Jabala with the Washington Post. Uh, you have not been um shifted positions or, or or signed elsewhere you're still at the post covering the commanders correct i believe so last i heard in our industry the last you heard is a very key component to this you never yeah. know you never know you yeah. never know um so it's been clears. what's that the check still clears it's good exactly um all right so of course make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you do your podcasting uh, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Nikki is at Nikki Jabvala, J-H-A-B-V-A-L-A. Of course, subscribe to The Athletic and The Washington Post. Um, all right. First off, thanks for doing this. I know it's been a busy week. You were at the Super Bowl. Did you? Bring, I assume you did not bring me anything back, though. You have not mentioned this yet. Um, I did get T-shirts at Marshawn Lynch's store, if you want an extra one i thought my sister might want one she does not well, i don't know that you guys are the same size but you're willing to if you want to try sure probably not the same size would be my guess not to mention does like want one? oh well I, I want one for him but i you know if you can if there's a cat size one um we're, we're in for that yeah you, you had a good time though i mean you've been to how many how many have you been to uh that was seven for me eight Seven, eight, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's so many. You can't even keep track now. Make me jealous more. <laughs> Vegas, very unique, obviously, relative to other places. I mean, I know you're not a very Vegas different. person. Not my favorite. But um, did you... but there were, it was packed. Cause I mean, everything was so compact downtown, like around the airport and the stadium. So there were a ton of fans there. And like Radio Row was really good this year. A lot of people came through. Um, I will never understand Vegas. I just don't understand the appeal of sitting there all day playing slots and smoking, but you know, to each his own. 
So, um, but it was cool. It was fun. It was a good game. Um, a lot of interest. I did see Taylor Swift from like 50 feet away and I was yelled at to put my phone away, but I tried to sneak one in and got yelled at again. This but, was where at the stadium? Yeah. Yeah. She was getting out of like one of the black cars. So, yeah. That was there like a halo around her? I mean, like you could smell money from like miles away, basically. Yeah. I mean, you you tweeted at one point when during a commercial break that they just showed her on the video screen chugging a beer and then slamming it, but the people were booing. Yeah. Like I understand she's for whatever the reason this polarizing figure because this is everything in our country has got to be polarizing. I don't understand though. I mean, regardless of what side you're on, you're not interested in a, an attractive female chugging a beer and then slamming it at a football game. I mean, you would think, but it was a very pro 49ers crowd in Vegas. And I guess they viewed her as just part of the opposition, given her um, relationship with Travis Kelsey. Yeah. All right. Well, the underrated love story of the Super Bowl. The New York Times reported, your newspaper reported, Usher left his halftime show, went to a Vegas chapel, and got married. Yeah. Like, okay. Good for him. Good for him. Right. Like, I wanted, like, was it, ha- like, typically a Vegas wedding like that, it seems to be a spontaneous deal. Was I wonder, was that spontaneous? I don't know how long I think he's, he's been. He's been with this woman for quite some time. They have kids together. Right. So, but, you know. Just go, that's very normal going straight from, you know, halftime stage to chapel. Right. Um, it, a um, Vegas wedding in and of itself is unusual to do it. So yeah. what was your night? Well, you know, my husband, you know, he, he did the halftime show at the Super Bowl and then we got married. Yeah. Do you think he was still wearing skates? Do you think he put on a Just shirt? skated over to the chapel. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, uh, that was quite, did he get, I didn't even notice, did he get out of the skates? Like I didn't under, like did he wear them the he whole did. time? Yeah, he, no, he did. I don't know how he got out of them so quickly, but that's the magic of it. Um, yeah, he put on like these super shiny silver basketball shoes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there was a lot going on in that performance, but I will never knock an Usher performance. He can I, do no wrong. I like Usher. I have no problem with Usher. And what I'm about to say is is clearly fact based on how I'll many other it. people they had to bring out. Usher yeah. as a headliner, no. They it it had to be Alicia Keys and Ludacris and all these other people to help fill it out because by himself he's not Rihanna. That's not a thing. Correct. I mean, I maybe they thought you know let's get Usher and he'll bring in Bieber, similar to like let's hire Nathaniel Hackett and he'll bring out Aaron Rodgers, but wow. that didn't work out so well. The Broncos know their pain. Um. Wow. Okay. Well, th- I love that transition that gets us back to 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 the football and, and building a staff. And that's what we're talking about here. It was a very busy day here for the commanders. They usher in a new staff. Well done. Um, nothing is, they have not announced anything yet since the Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt hires. We will be talking to them on Thursday for what it's worth. Um, but pretty much everything else is locked up at this point. I'll give you a rundown later. Uh, but in terms of, we're at, but, but that's not even the headline of the day. Or actually, what do you think is the headline of the day? That Anthony Lynn, the former Chargers head coach, who was with the 49ers the last two years, is now part of the staff as the run game coordinator and running back coach? Or that 
Adam Peters has a new assistant general manager in Lance Newmark. What for you is the more interesting topic? Um, Lance, because he has more power. Um, you know, I didn't anticipate him bringing in, and maybe I should have, I didn't anticipate him bringing in an assistant GM from outside. I was still waiting to see what exactly Martin Mayhew's role was be, his title would be. Um, Cause I knew they were keeping Mayhew and Herney. I knew Herney would be some sort of advisory role, um, but Mayhew, I wasn't quite sure on his title. So I think that's, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting hire and in that it gives Washington two very proven talent evaluators at the top, um, which I think is incredibly important given where they are as a franchise and, you know, some of the struggles of the last four years to have these guys who came up in the ranks and scouting before landing in their current roles, I think is, is, is huge. Um, Anthony Lynn, I, th- I feel like is a sexier name just of his head coaching experience, you know, just what he did in San Francisco um, with, you know, I'm sure it was a real struggle to really work with that kid, Christian McCaffrey, you know, really had to develop him. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but that, that is his forte. Anthony Lynn um, is just, you know, working with a run game. He was a running back himself. Um, so not, I mean, that's just, that'll be really interesting pairing what he knows best with Kingsbury's <laughs> offense. So we shall see. By the way, to your point about um, Anthony Lynn, um, everybody wants to judge, like we're judging the giant, we're judging the new offensive line coach based on what happened with the Giants last year, where they gave him 85 sacks. Shouldn't we do the same with the with the 49ers running backs coach? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> no, we should, we shouldn't because that's obviously ridiculous. But I'm um, just saying, if we're gonna, if everybody's gonna have these kind of reactions, then, then yeah, sure. That guy, Coach Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the best running back in football, so it counts for something. Sure. Um, all right, well, let's stay in, let's stay on Newmark. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting hire. Twenty six years, twenty eight years in the league, twenty six with the Lions, which means even though we're all viewing the Lions right now as this hot team, they were terrible for the almost majority. Well, not the majority, all of that time, other than like the last like couple of years and a and a, and a year or two here or there. He obviously gets sort of that new car smell to a degree because of what they've done the last couple of years and they have nailed the draft. Um, it's interesting because he and Peters don't have any obvious connection other than just being on the road together. And um, Peter said in his statement that, uh, you know, he, he's somebody he had admired for many years. So, you know, I, I like it from that perspective that okay, it's somebody he, he, he buys into, I guess somebody he trusts. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, any pro- point prior to the last couple of years, if I said they're going to hire somebody who'd been at the Lions for over 20 years, like, what? What's going on? Yeah, but I do think what they have done in the last few years and really rebuilding that franchise stands out. Um, but I, and that's the other thing that I think gets lost in all these hiring cycles is there's still a lot of really talented people on bad teams. They just don't get the recognition and, you know, maybe the props other do. I don't, I don't know if Lance Newmark will be that guy in Washington, but you know, Peters believes he is a talented guy, then great. Um, But I I think we're just so used to seeing so many names just get recycled over the years and so many teams just immediately turning to the teams that won and, and, you know, made it to the championship games and figuring out ways to, you know, pillage their staffs. But 
you know, there are some good people on not so great teams. I, I could not agree more. I'm always of the belief that whoever is deemed the best is only deemed the best based on the window that we have. That's for some people, the window is, it's never open. We don't look at them. Uh, and therefore who knows, but yes, I agree with, I agree with all that. Um, if I told you that a month ago I was told somebody told me to look at keep an eye on Lance Newmark, would you a laugh at me, b roll your eyes at me, or just see, just say under your breath like f off? <laughs> Knowing me, probably the latter. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I didn't see that one coming. But hey, maybe that was all part of like, you know, they hop on the private jet to go to Detroit. They interview you know, the defensive coordinator didn't get the interview with the offensive coordinator. And like, actually, we're going to take one more since you owe us. And there they go. That You know, that is a good point. Do you think like, cause it, it, it Peters in his statement also said, cause it's, it's, it's not often sometimes, but not always, it's one thing to bring in a new GM, but anybody under him, some teams are just not going to let those people leave their staff ahead of the draft. Cause they've been working towards it, whatever. And Peters in his statement said that he, he thanked, the Lions GM and the, and the organization for working with them to let Newmark go. Do you think that the working with them was like, Hey, look, your boy screwed us over here with the not meeting. So here's what we're going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of owe us. Right. But, we, we, we took a lot of bullets here. You guys kind of got off scot-free. <laughs> so here's what yeah. we're going to do. No, but um, I, I do think that is a good point that that is an unusual move to allow them to leave at this point. And good for Washington, you know, and, you know, I, I think it also shows kind of where they are in the hierarchy of the NFL anymore and that they're viewed as like sort of this relationship building team. Whereas before, I don't know that many teams would have made such concessions. You don't um, think when the owner or the or the team president, I don't mean Jason Wright, but the one before him, you don't think when they called up, people were going, hey, let's make it. Let, let's work together. Sure. Anything for you, Dan. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they were saying that all the time. <laughs> um. All right. So Newmark is coming in. What's so interesting here is also, so he, he Peters clearly liked him, duh. Newmark worked for 15 years in Detroit with Martin Mayhew, the last eight with Mayhew as GM, but then Mayhew has worked with Peters for four years in San Francisco before he came here. So I don't know how it is going to work. None of us do, but at least there's a relationship right there automatically, but it's not like one, I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best to not pick on Ron Rivera. We'll get to that later when we talk about the hires, but like the idea of like, it's one thing to know people and have comfortable, but like they're coming from different worlds. They're there. This right. isn't all from a group that right. we already saw not work. Right. I don't, you don't get that feel that they're trying to recreate a team of the past, which right. was very clearly the intent with Rivera's initial staff when he came over. Like, let's try to create the magic we had in 2015 or whatever with the Panthers. Um, these are, you know, some familiar names. They all have connections, which, you know, in a lot of ways is good. You know, they know they can work together well. Um, they know how each other operates, um, sort of their preferences, that type of thing. That can only help as you're trying to bring together a group of, you know, a totally different group. Um, but yeah, I, I think they bring in many different viewpoints, which this team needs. Um I'm curious to see how it all comes together scheme wise, but also, you know, how they approach, you know, talent evaluation, how they approach the draft, free agency, the whole nine. Yeah, for sure. By the way, one thing also with um, Newmark, 
remember a couple years ago, uh, there was a thing about the Raiders when John Gruden was still there, like, like they they kicked their scouts out basically and said, you're not like at, at towards the end of the draft or right before the draft started, like they kind of kicked the scouts out because they were afraid of like leaks or something. Yes. Does that ring bell? Yes. Now I'm not saying that will happen here, but the rest of the staff is up in the air. Peter said a, a week ago at the Dan Quinn press conference, he didn't anticipate changing anybody out, meaning from p- people currently in through the draft process. I think after the draft process is a whole different story and we could see some changes. I do think bringing in Newmark and then possibly having Mayhew allows him, if he chooses to, at the very end, right before the draft, to kick everybody out and know these are the people I'm confident in, especially if he's not confident that whatever, like he, like maybe he thinks some of the guys are going to leave uh, or he wants them to leave. So I think of, if nothing else from that perspective, because I think when Rivera got here, he didn't have anybody really, right? He, he had... He inherited the Kyle Smith group. I think Eric Stokes came over that first year. Yes, he did. So he, but Stokes was you know a little bit further down. So I think from that perspective, Peter's getting somebody like that to to be there at a very minimum gives him one yeah. person he can probably trust, and everybody else he's still learning. Right. Yeah. No. I and I think that's that's huge. Now I don't. You know, when he said, like, at the at the end of Dan Quinn's presser that he doesn't foresee any changes to the scouting and personnel staff before the draft, um, but he could add talent. I mean, I, I believe that, obviously, but I am curious to see if he shakes up anything after the draft. But you're right, like, having having connections coming in, I think, is, is big. Having somebody who is, you know, well-versed in how the team operated previously, but also knows Adam and his preferences, I, you know. He sort of has like sort of a, a liaison there on staff. So yeah, no, I think that's good. I am I I mean, like I said, I am curious to see, you know, how much he shakes it up after the draft after the draft, if at all. Um, okay, last thing with the front office. Uh beyond Newmark coming in, so Mayhew and Herney got new titles. Mayhew is senior personnel executive slash advisor to GM. Herney is basically just an advisor. Uh, here's my read, and I'm curious if you if you assume the same. Mayhew staying, Herney is gone after the draft. Would you would you agree or disagree with any of that? That From- Mayhew staying, yeah, I was told he got a new deal. Um, Marty Herney, I would be shocked if he stayed beyond this season. If not, if he doesn't leave earlier, but we'll see. Right. And are you, uh, for the people who are screaming, no, they both had to go get them out of here. What do you say to that? Um, relax. Um, no, I mean, I listen, the person in charge is Adam Peters. You know, he's the one pulling the strings on this. Lance Newmark will have some say, but I, I view Martin's role and I don't think Martin was necessarily bad. It's hard to, you know, separate, you know, who, who was, calling which shots in that front office um, the last four years. You know, Ron had final say over everything, but certainly everybody had their preferences and, you know, within the group. Um, and there were a lot of cooks in that kitchen. So, you know, I don't, I I, I feel like if if Adam trusts him and they're kind of on the same page about, you know, the the types of players they want, so be it. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping Martin. Um, I don't know that Marty Herney has necessarily the greatest track record, but you know, if, if there's, 
you know, if that can help them get through the draft and they'll see where it takes it, so be it. Um, all right, let's get to the coaches. We don't have to discuss the coordinators, but obviously they're intertwined with everything else that's happened here. Uh, basically the entire staff is filled out except for like maybe like an assistant or lower, deeper cut coaches. So in terms of the main names, I believe we're, 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 we're locked and, and loaded there for you. I mentioned Anthony Lynn earlier. Uh, could be him. Could be anybody else. What What's the hire for you that you are most intrigued by? What for whatever the reason? The hire I'm most intrigued by. Hmm. Ken Norton. And I realize not everything falls on the positional coach, um, but the linebackers, they have been lagging for years now. Um. And even having three line, three former NFL linebackers on staff the last four years didn't do it. So I'm curious to see if he's able to, you know, really develop that group. Um, you know, they need to add a lot of pieces there, obviously, but you know, I think a lot will fall on him to really develop that group. And I think it's paramount to this defense because they've, it's been such a weak link for so long. Yeah, I- I'm fascinated by him, but for those reasons, but also because I mean, I you know, I'm. Old and enough to remember his his dad, and, and you know, therefore followed his career throughout. And he always looked like a boxer; like he's he's got like a jaw that, like, I, I'm sure if I, you know, if, if you attempted to hit it, it would like your your hand would shatter. Um, he's also Ken Norton Jr. also has four Super Bowl rings. Is that a good thing? Three as a player, one as a coach. Would you I like? To, I looked it up recently. Since you did the math, would you like to tell everybody how many for Super Bowl rings this uh, front yes. office and coaching staff has? 17 i counted which and i'm terrible at math but i counted it i counted three times there's 17 i'm, I'm not we don't have to do it but they, the, that was not the, the the staff last year or under there that didn't didn't match that they had nine i believe or last year specifically or yeah last year I had nine um that staff to start the season i mean del rio had one yeah um but yeah the two that had the most, EB, of course, has two from the Chiefs. Um, Steve Russ had two with the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Um, well, both of those guys will be somewhere else next year as well, almost everybody else, but I'll come back to, to that part in a second. Um, I think that, like, the, for me, I think I'm most curious about the offensive side. I think the defensive side, everything kind of looks – as expected, there's a position coaches, assistant coaches. There's one sort of ra- random uh, defensive assistant in Pagano. Everything looks fairly normal. Plus, you have Dan Quinn overseeing it all. He's a defensive guy. But on offense, you've got Cliff Kingsbury as the OC. But then you bring in Brian Johnson, who was the Eagles OC last year and was a guy who before the year or even during the year was being discussed as a potential head coaching candidate. Then the Eagles fell apart and he got fired. He was one of the fall guys. Mm-hmm. And then you have Anthony Lynn, a, a former head coach, uh, former coordinator. He's more on the run side of things. Johnson's more on the pass side of things, but with Kingsbury, how all that works together, like those guys, maybe not Lynn as much, but those, but those other two plus Tavita Pritchard are saying they're yeah. going to be working with the quarterback, but how do you work all these pieces together? Carolina last year had a star kind of staff. 
and that whole thing completely fell apart. I, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here, but like it isn't just as simple as saying we have all these guys. You got to make them work, and and there's no obvious connection to Kingsbury that I see. So it's interesting, but I, I'm very curious to see how that works. Yeah. No. Same. You know, I you can't just assemble and not saying this is an all star staff, but you get my point. Like the, just having talented people together doesn't make it work, as you said. So, um, yeah, I, that's one of the things I'm curious too, and. You know, going back to what Adam Peters and Josh Harris said during Quinn's introductory presser that was like, this is sort of the vision that that Quinn had when he interviewed. This was sort of the plan he came in with. Um, Not necessarily these people together, but, you know, the general plan for his staff. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, pass game coordinator, run game coordinator. How does that mesh with the positional coaches? How does that stack up with, you know, the coordinators? Um, There are it does seem like there's more and I, I i think part of it too is just the titles are so different i'm curious to see what their actual responsibilities are in that role um but yeah there's still a lot of unanswered questions and how they they formed the staff it's definitely different from the last few i would say in washington yeah no for sure it's really going to be um it's not just an i was here's one person like it, you know with scott turner i didn't view it as like it's Scott Turner and Ken Zampezi that you know, like it was his thing. And uh, here, I mean, it's Cliff Kingsbury, but there's a bunch of different uh, uh, entities going on. Here's the other thing I find super interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this, but under Rivera, they were called often the commanders because there was like everybody he ever coached with Carolina came over here. Plus the front office, right? As best I can tell, Here's the breakdown of the coaching staff under Dan Quinn in terms of where they were last year. I'm not counting Dan. Or am I counting Dan Quinn? No, I'm not. Crap. I just lost track. I, no, yeah, I'm not counting Dan Quinn. Three were with, the, with with Washington last year. Two were with the Cowboys. Two were with the 49ers. And then you had one from the Buccaneers, Chargers, Eagles, Giants, Raiders, Seahawks, UCLA, and if I'm counting Kingsbury at USC. That is very different setup than it was a year ago. Even the people that were, didn't coach with Carol, at Carolina, like Jack Del Rio, were very new for a thousand years. Again, I'm not saying this is going to work. And by the way, Dan Quinn couldn't have done what Rivera wanted. He didn't have a whole staff because he wasn't a head coach. Right. But he, you know, some of these people are his people. Some of these people are Kingsbury people, like the tight end coach. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing Adam Peters had some influence, perhaps, on the 49ers people. He at least could say, hey, yeah, this guy's a good guy or whatever. Um. And I think that's, you know, again, I just like the idea that you're not trying to put the band back together, especially for something that didn't work at the end in Carolina. And you're bringing in people from different systems. You, hopefully you you can find good ways to mesh all their ideas and thoughts and blah, blah, blah together. But it's very different staff setup than it was a year ago. Yes. No, definitely. I, I think that's a huge selling point. Um, again, will it work? Who knows? Um but I, I think changing completely from the last four years was necessary, and it was good to see that they they did that. Now, a lot of these names, I I mean, this has such a negative connotation. I don't necessarily mean it like that. But, like, so retread guys, you know, guys that have come through the NFL of multiple – there are two that have had head coaching stints. Um, you know, there's three total, I believe, that have been coordinators, you know, just among the positional coaches and their coordinators um, – you know, Anthony Lynn, uh, John Pagano, 
Um, Ken Norton. Ken Norton. I mean, like they're, they've had multiple ones who have been coordinators in the past. So, um, you know, they, they have guys that have the experience or proven that know how to win um, and have a track record of developing players, which to me checks the boxes of the biggest things that this team has been missing in recent years. So will it all work? You hope, but you know, I like their approach in building the staff. Now they're not all the sexiest names. It's not the up and coming, you know, head coach that a lot of people wanted, but I think in some ways that's probably better for what this team needs. You know, this is the kind of guy that can galvanize the staff, galvanize the players and and kind of bring all the pieces together. Um, And I just, honestly, I just kind of like his um, enthusiasm for the game. I know that's a silly thing, but like, I think it means a lot to players too, after such kind of a dead year, you know, like it, they need somebody who's pretty gung ho about the future. So, and he definitely seems like that. Yeah. At a minimum, there's that. And of course, you know, we've all heard from different players or different people to say, boy, this guy's amazing as a person, as a coach. I don't know. I will say that I was looking at Facebook and uh, I know people that went to Salisbury where Dan Quinn went to college and he and I are more or less the same uh, time frame. And I've seen somebody, uh, somebody I know who played football for Salisbury posted a couple photos uh, from back in the day on uh, social media. So I'm going to have to, uh, I don't even know what I'm bringing this up for other than just to say his enthusiasm, like, you know, know like who knows somebody who knows somebody on Facebook, who knows somebody that played with Dan Quinn, basically uh, my lab partner in wow. was it ninth grade or seventh grade. Uh, your Facebook friends with your lab partner in seventh grade. Uh, well, when Facebook first started and like I was an early adapter and like, you know, you just sort of I, you didn't quite know what the what the deal was. And you just signed up with everybody. And then later, you're like, eh, I don't really I, I want to talk to like 10 people. So, yes, I'm signed up a lot of people from high school that I don't talk to. OK. All right. Look at you. You're such uh, no, a, you're such no, a social butterfly. Oh, my God. That is the absolute last thing. That I am. Um, all right. So look, there. Oh, the last thing, the holdovers. Tavita Pritchard, Bobby Ingram, Ryan Kerrigan switching from assistant defensive line to assistant linebacker slash pass rush specialist. And as you reported, uh, Shane Taub, the offensive quality control coach, all staying. Um, here's what I find most interesting about this. All of them came on last year, which means I'm assuming, other than maybe Taub, I don't know what a quality control coach gets for a contract. I'm presuming all of them signed two-year deals at least, and therefore, whether they were the best choice or not, they're staying because rather than having to pay multiple people for the same job. You nailed it. Yeah. Um. I, I Kerrigan. I made total sense. I do, yeah, I do think I do know that Kerrigan got interest from at least one other team. Um, but it was for a lateral move. Um. And Tavita Pritchard, he was probably, aside from Kerrigan, the one only, you know, assistant that I thought might have a future beyond being a positional coach. We just don't fully know what he is yet, but just given his history, I thought it was, I thought it was smart that they kept him on. Um, Especially, I mean, look, Sam Howe, until they do something, Sam Howe's still here and Pritchard's the one that, you know, knows him, so. Yeah, and like, Howell's already had three different coordinators since he entered the league. So to have some semblance of continuity, whether he's a backup or whatever, I, I think is a good thing. 
Um, so overall, uh, I don't know. Is there? I don't know what the Jabala scale of uh, grading is. If it's one to ten, uh, you, you go I with the eight. I get incompletes before you know. I gotta see what they're. We gotta see first. It's an incomplete. I will. I'm cautiously optimistic. What other cliche can I throw at you? Well, I mean, per, just perception. Can we, can, we, can we go with a perception grade? We we're acknowledging nobody has a clue. Um, I would say. B plus. Oh, I, look at you. I mean, I don't understand the O-line hire. I don't, I'm not fully sold on Kingsbury. Um, but we'll see. It's B plus, which is really like, it's an incomplete grade, you know, it's a superficial B plus. Um, who's the Broncos? Wait, Who, who's the Broncos defensive coordinator this past year? Vance Joseph. And what was his deal before he got that job? Uh, Arizona Cardinals. And he was viewed as really good or not good? Um, I know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I mean, Arizona wasn't good, but he turned Well, I, I, was, I wasn't making it. This is not about Kingsbury. I, was ma- I, I, I used an analogy earlier that would make no sense to you because it's a wizard one. Yeah. And uh, basically, I was saying. Well, my- I, I realized like, people can do better in different places, which is yeah. you know, the crux of the NFL's hiring. You know, Oh, he didn't work here. We're going to make him great here. You didn't want him. Oh, great. We would love him. You know, that is how the NFL does business. So right. I realized like, he could be very fine coordinator. And once he doesn't have like sort of the administrative duties of head coaching. Oh, you're so. talking about Kingsbury. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, no. And that works too. I was talking about the offensive line guy because on the surface, it's like, wait, what? I'm hoping that Dan Quinn saw something as an astute coach that said, it's not his fault. They just had a lousy yeah. talent. It's, it's not even the sacks. It's more like I, you didn't have a, you don't see sort of that developmental track, but I, I'm with you. Like I don't, you know, he's the expert in these guys. I don't I don't know anything about offensive line coaching, you know. I'm just writing up the blurbs, man. Right, right. Um, all right, well, look. As uh, Howard Stern says when he signs off with his guests, you've said it all. Anything else for you? I mean, there's been so many moving parts. I don't even I, – I, I probably forgot something here, but anything else for you either with this or going forward here that uh, is top of mind for you? The combines in 12 days. It is. Oh, by the way, I guess I'd have to ask this, but I have to ask every guest and especially you because you got really annoyed today when I, or yesterday when I mentioned that Bobby, there's like a connection between like Bobby Ingram and Bobby Ingram's son to Caleb Williams. And we can't keep doing this. But all that said, do you think, I don't know if I asked you this, but since we're going to talk to Kingsbury tomorrow, what percentage chance do you give that the Kingsbury hire was about Caleb Williams, as opposed to what Dan Quinn said, I like this guy. I thought his defenses were complicated or his offenses were, were tough to deal with. Like how much do you think, what percentage do you think it all is about Caleb Williams? I mean, he was a senior offensive assistant. He wasn't his positional coach or his coordinator. And you don't need Cliff Kingsbury to go get Caleb Williams. You just need to trade up in the draft. So Hit, you know, Caleb Williams relationship helped them maybe a little bit. He also runs the same offense that Drake may did, but like, I don't, I mean, if you're hiring him because you think he'll play better with Kingsbury, I mean, did Mahomes play better with Kingsbury or is Mahomes just Mahomes? Like to me, I like, I don't, I know Kingsbury has this record of being a developmental guy, but like, 
He had one year with Baker. He coached Mahomes. Who else did he have? Uh, I was Graham Harrell in there. Uh, might, might, might might have been a a playing but, contemporary. Um, I listen. I think it helps. I don't. I don't fully buy that. That's like we really want Caleb Williams, so we're gonna go get a guy who sort of knows him. Right. Like, it it would be an insane move to hire somebody when you have yeah. you have no idea. You might have a zero percent chance of getting Caleb Williams. Yeah. That said, there was a report right about Caleb Williams supposedly claiming he didn't want to play for the Bears. I don't know if that's true. I'll assume it's not. Caleb Williams, I believe, is not hiring an agent. Yeah, I saw that. So this is a different operation than than before. So I guess I am wondering, is there a world where somehow talking to Caleb Williams' dad, boy, that Kingsbury, he really made a good impression yeah. on us. Yeah. Are you insinuating that Cliff Kingsbury is basically Bob Myers? If Bob Myers helped get Adam Peters, is Kingsbury the Bob Myers for quarterbacks? Yes Look, or no? He is think? the he he is the Bob Myers for uh, fancy living rooms. He does have a nice living room. He still has that house too. I hope we can that just be like draft headquarters, just, <laughs> right? Just give us a, we'll we'll work outside by the pool. We won't bother anybody, you know. Just, right when when he does it when he does his uh, weekly chats, can we just do it at that house in Arizona? Exactly. We'll just all fly out on on uh, Commanders One or whatever the plane is. Yeah. Yeah, they can sit in the living room, do their thing. We'll just hang out by the pool. Just let us know when you're ready. We'll be fine. So, Perfect. All right. Yeah. Look, as always, fantastic stuff. Go read Nikki at the Washington Post. Uh, if you want to read other people at the Washington Post while you're there, you have you have our permission. I mean, start with her and then go from yeah. there. Yeah. Um, you, you, you rock. I will see you tomorrow. Uh, have Have a lot of questions ready and then give me the ones you don't use. And uh, we'll go from there. It's a plan. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. All right. Uh, great stuff, as always, from Nikki there. I didn't want to go through the whole staff. I didn't want to keep her longer than I already did. Uh, but let me go through that really quickly here. Um, Ian, what do we have here? We have... So starting at the top, the coordinators, we already established who they are. So Tavita Pritchard, quarterback coach. Anthony Lean looks like he's going to be the running back coach and the run game coordinator. Uh, no, I don't know if he'll have an assistant. No, I don't think Jennifer King is coming back. But the, no official announcements on any of this stuff yet. So we'll see about that. Things can change. Wide receiver coach Bobby Ingram. Tight end coach David Ray, I believe is how you say that. Uh, offensive line coach Bobby Johnson. Uh, offensive assistant Brian Johnson, uh, defensive line coach Anthony uh, Rapp, assistant defensive line coach is Khalif Floyd, uh, linebacker coach is uh, Ken Norton Jr., Ryan Kerrigan is assistant linebacker coach slash pass rush specialist. In the secondary, you have um, also, let me not forget before I forget his name, John Pagano, senior defensive assistant. He was a former coordinator with the Chargers and the Raiders. Uh, in the secondary, Jason Simmons will help the secondary and be the pass game coordinator. The defensive backs coach, Tom Donatel, who was with the Chargers for the past three years, and special teams coordinator, uh, Larry Izzo that we mentioned um 
you know, we'll see. There could be some other uh, other names that that jump up. Uh, you know, again, for like assistant coaches or other quality control type deals. But that's the gist there. I, I think Nikki and I sort of recapped our thoughts about that group and the new front office look as well. Um, get to Al here in a moment. Before I do, I, I neglected to mention, mention it at the top, but today was the day in, in Kansas City where the Chiefs were having their Super Bowl parade. And right before we started, came news that there was a shooting there. Uh, many children shot. Uh, last I saw, one one died. Uh, one person died. You know, obviously, horrendous situation. This happens too often in America, but this is touching directly to our NFL world. So I at least wanted to mention it and, uh, you know, thoughts with the families. This is, you know, I don't even know what to say anymore about this. It's it's insane what keeps happening with gun violence in this country. Um, all right. There's no easy transition for this, but Al Galdi and I spoke on Tuesday uh, covering a lot of sort of broad commanders topics talked about the staff obviously they've been they've made a lot of changes since then so you know hopefully uh we don't sound too insane with whatever we're, we're, we're saying um but as always a fun conversation with Al who of course I do uh weekly chats with I he I go to his podcast he comes to mine obviously this was a Ben week so that's why we talked. So here we go. My conversation with Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. We are back on track with my uh, back and forth each week with Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Um, last week I was on Al's and we are back to having him on here. I'm in town. No no travel issues. Uh, we, we, there's a head coach. Things have calmed down a bit more now. They're just filling out the staff. Uh, is that riveting? I don't know. I think Al seems to say that it is. I, what do you guys, Al? Is 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 filling out the staff riveting? Uh, riveting is an interesting word. I, I don't know if I'd go with riveting, but it is interesting. Can we say that? I mean, we, we spent the last four years differentiating between that which is interesting and that which is important. But <laughs> uh, I, I would qualify this as interesting and also uh, very important. Uh, I think we all understand that uh, a head coaching hire is about a lot more than just the head coach, the staff is of utmost importance and i think there's a lot to like with this staff i mean i think everything comes with the caveat of we don't know a lot you know and we could all be made to look like dummies so you know to sit here and like plant the flag of victory of oh my god this is such a great staff like you can't do that but there are things to like there are things to be excited about and that's where i'm at right now um yeah i mean look i get we all uh, with the coordinators you know, we all feel like we have some opinion there because, you know, that's obviously the next biggest hires after that coach. And do we know the person? Are we familiar with them? Do we sense that the coach likes them? Was this forced upon them? All these kinds of things. The position coaches is where it gets wacky when people start like, oh, my God, that's terrible. And you're like, uh, I've never heard of this person or I have no idea. Like, you know, the, the, today we're talking Tuesday morning. They hired. I don't know how to say his last name, but David Ray, R-A-I-H. I think it's was, Rye. Yeah. Rye. Okay. Who was on the Buccaneer staff? He's now going to be the new tight end coach. Uh, I was told. I, I sure. It's great. Is he better than uh, Pete Hayner and Todd Storm? I, I I don't know. I guess we'll I guess we'll find out. I, I guess the one thing I would, I do wonder is what's the thing for you putting you in the in the seat as the the the, the, the Commanders fan? What's the thing that you're like? Okay. 
I don't have any idea, but because this is on the resume, I'm good with it. Is it like they, they had to have been part of a good team? They were with this coach that you already believe in somewhere else. Um, they were a star in college. Like, what's the thing you're like, okay, as long as this is the case, I'll, I'll be okay with it. Well, I'm a big advanced stats nerd. And so I, I look at that stuff a lot. And I'm always a big proponent of a hire, a hire of a guy who presided over a unit that did really well. And I think if you've been a part of an operation that has excelled, then I think that's reason for excitement or at least reason to say, okay, I get where uh, the team is coming from and hiring this person. So if you've been a part of something that has been good, not necessarily from a, a one loss record standpoint, although, you know, that is nice, but if you've been part of units that have been, you know, top 10, top five in the NFL, then I, I think there are things to like. Like, I think the Larry Izzo hiring is really good in that regard. He presided over Seahawks special teams for essentially four seasons, 2020 through 2023. And if you go by special teams DVOA, the Seahawks were top 10 in the NFL in special teams DVOA for each regular season. That's really good. I mean, that, that is remarkable consistency. So, like, I don't know about Larry Izzo, the guy. I can't, you know, talk to you about, like, his techniques for kickoff return coverage and punt return coverage, but I can look at the bottom line and see, okay, special teams units presided over by Larry Izzo have done really well. The Bobby Johnson hiring with the offensive line, I know, has gotten a lot of raised eyebrows. Of, oh, boy, you know, two-year run as the Giants' offensive line coach, things did not go well. No, they did not. But if you look at his three-season run as the Buffalo Bills' offensive line coach, those Bills' offensive lines were really good in terms of pass blocking. If you go by the ESPN pass block win rate. So, you know, I, I, I try to look at stuff like that because I think, to your point, and I think most people get this, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know about these guys as people. We don't know about how they're going to mesh with other coaches on the staff. So all you can kind of go by is, you know, facts that are available to us and things that would speak to the overall work that these guys have done. So I, I think looking at that can be instructive. But, of course, it guarantees nothing because so much of football is circumstance and fit and just kind of how things go for you uh, in a particular job. Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. We we need to see we need to see the staff together at like a potluck dinner. Um, you know, like for example, you don't you, I I I almost get hesitant whenever I bring up like 980 or 1067 stuff to you, but you've moved on. Um, they had an event a week or so ago where they like all of their hosts showed up in Bethesda at this uh club and were all on stage together answering questions and bantering and whatever. And it was interesting to see how they interacted together because obviously a lot of people who like to talk um, and you had like b really just kind of run in the room, as you might imagine. Um, and other people were a little more, you know, introverted in these moments. That's what you need to see. You need to see these people in the room, this whole staff and see what's going on. Who's the alpha? Who's getting along? Who's who's who's, who's getting eye rolled? Um, I, I, we probably will never see too much of that. Uh in, in our world, even as a, as a reporter, but like, yeah, that's the thing. All these names right now, it could sound really good. It could sound, eh, I don't know, underwhelming, but you got to see how it all fits together um, to, to get a real good feel for how it's going to go. I mean, we're old enough to remember when Joe Gibbs 1.0, so many of this, we heard all these stories about all these assistants, not just like Pettibone and, and Joe Bugle, but uh, all, all these other coaches across the board that were such a, uh, you know, big deal for the, for these guys. So you never know. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to see. Is there one hire at this point that you're like, wow, that's my guy. I like that hire. 
<laughs> well, first of all, you can bring up 980 and 106.7 as much as you want. I, I have like zero issue talking about that. I know. Uh, I just... The one higher. So I, I am excited by the Cliff Kingsbury hire, but I, I recognize that there is some mixed stuff in terms of like how his teams have done. What I really like with Kingsbury, and I'm guessing this is a big part of why he got hired, is he's got a really good track record of working with and developing quarterbacks. Like that's undeniable. You know, like even if you say, well, sub 500 record is Cardinals head coach, sub 500 record is Texas Tech head coach. I mean, you go through the resume, Case Keenum's 2011, Johnny Manziel's 2012, Patrick Mahomes' collegiate career. Uh, Kyler Murray over his first three seasons in the NFL was doing some good things. Caleb Williams this past season. You know, I know some people say he did not have a very good season. He did have a really good season. I mean, there are some nits to pick, but it's not like Caleb Williams was some mess this past season. So I really like the Kingsbury hire in that regard. Um, and then, you know, with Joe Witt Jr., I know he's never been a defensive coordinator. So I guess you have to say, well, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like. But man, you look at his track record as a secondary coach, defensive backs coach. I mean, name me a better defensive backs coach in the NFL over the last 10 to 15 years. When you look at the consistency with which his units, first with the Packers and then with the Cowboys, got interceptions. And, you know, takeaways can be fluky and they can't necessarily be counted on. But when you every season have a secondary that's generating picks, you're doing something right. Like there is something about the coaching of Joe Witt Jr. that lends to generating picks. And that obviously has been a problem uh, for Washington defenses really for years. I mean, even when the Washington Redskins had a good defensive uh, run with Greg Williams, those were not turnover generating defenses like those defenses did a lot of things well, did not actually generate takeaways well. So you got to go back a long time. Uh, for like the last time Washington was consistently producing takeaways. So, you know, I think those two coordinator hires are, are things to to look at and, again, be excited about with, with that caveat of we don't know. And until these guys get going, we're not going to know. Yeah, I, I mean, that's definitely uh, uh, all true. All right, so the hires are happening. There's only a few left at this point that we've, uh, that we haven't reported on yet. And who knows, by the end of today, uh, a couple times now, I've had to update podcasts right as I was about to send them because they were um, some new names came out, but that's almost done. And I would say the bigger jobs are are, are filled at this point now that the O line is done, etc. So, like you said, that's eventually going to come into play, but not until we get to camps and things um, along along those lines. So that said, you know, free agency is you know about a month away. The draft is even longer. Obviously, the draft is always typically bit more interesting than free agency i guess uh but what 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 what's for you you you've got to talk about this thing every single day what what for you is the the new um you know the next thing that's on your horizon it can't just be you know who's going to be the new uh, wide receiver coach so what what's the thing for you that's driving you the most or is getting get, getting you the most interested right now well i think the quarterback thing with the draft is the thing and I think in so many ways, like that is this offseason beyond the hirings of the GM and head coach. I mean, nothing matters more than the new head of football operations. And then after that, the new head coach. But after that, this quarterback thing is everything. And what the commanders do do with that number two overall pick. Now, we obviously have multiple months until we get to that point, And we're probably going to all be you know, <laughs> sick of talking about this by the time that we get to late April. But I mean, that, in, in a lot of ways, is the North Star for this offseason. What 
do the commanders do? What should they do? Because this is a franchise altering decision, right? I mean, this could determine whether things go spectacularly well for the next 10 to 15 years versus whether this team continues to be mired in mediocrity, if not bad seasons for the next 10 to 15 years. What goes down with this number two overall pick? I mean, you know, you go back to the last time the team had a new head of football ops slash head coach, Rod Rivera, right? Number two overall pick, didn't take a quarterback. We understand why, but not doing that changed everything. I mean, if the team had just taken Justin Herbert with the number two overall pick in 2020, who knows how much different things might be right now. But, you know, when it comes to free agency, I think it is interesting in this way. I can't remember the last time that Washington had this many players of significance or at least relative significance as unrestricted free agents. That was one of the things about this past season that made it unique among the many things. But you had all of these key guys going into contract years. Now, I know that that phenomenon has been lessened by the trading away of Montez Sweat and Chase Young, but there still are a lot of guys with expiring contracts on this team. And unlike in years past, the team has not signed anyone to a contract extension in recent months. There was none of that this past offseason. There was none of that this uh, past season, you know, because we in recent years, it seemed like late season signings of guys to contract extensions didn't get that this past season. And there's been nothing like that so far this offseason. So we're really doing this like we're going into free agency with all of these guys as free agents who should be brought back. Who should we want to bring back? Who are Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. identifying as those who should be brought back? I think that that's really interesting. No, no doubt. You know, you go back to this season, and because it started off with a two and zero start, and even you know, at one point they're four and five. You're not like, all right, you know, they're still in the mix, even though by that point it already kind of felt like this wasn't going to be their year. I I do wonder. You mentioned all these free agents. Did we overlook in real time? that everybody in that building recognized what was about to happen. That really, you know, what, what were we all saying? That they were going to have to win, make the playoffs, and maybe even win a game for Rivera to keep his job. That is a very high bar when you haven't had a winning record since 2016, when you haven't made the playoffs, um, except for, you know, the 2020, we'll call it fluke, but kind of a weird deal with a 7-9 record, winning the division. Like, I, I wonder how much this was weighing on all of them to be like, you know what? We're kind of all in it for ourselves this year. I mean, I definitely heard some players talking about, you know, during the season about um, we're a team, but like ultimately we're also all vying for the same pocket, uh, you know, bucket of money, you know, and how that's, you know, uh, kind of the awkward part of this. But I do wonder because I, I, you know, look, I'm sure the coaches felt this way as well, though, especially those who had were going to their, their last year of their deal. So, um, the free agent thing, it's its interesting now because they have all this cap space and they have a lot of things to, to, to decide, but I do wonder, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have done this, but just to, I wonder how much that factored into the season that, that uh, transpired. Yeah, I mean, of course, it was so weird, right, because you had the sale of the team and then the Josh Harris group doesn't actually buy the team until super late in the offseason. And then you had the season that happened. And of course, the season went so horribly wrong that by the end of the season, you almost felt like, well, why should we sign anyone to an extension with how bad this team ended up being? So, you know, in in like retrospect, I don't know, other than say maybe signing Montez Sweat to an extension, which I was an advocate for, I don't know who else you would say, boy, the team really whiffed in not signing that guy 
to a deal before this past season. Um, but we'll see. I mean, again, it's like, who do Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. want? Because we can say, well, boy, I really like Cam Curl. I really like Kendall Fuller. But what if Witt and Quinn don't look at those guys the same way that we look at those guys? I mean, I, I think there really has to be a humility with all of this. Of it. This team was horrendous this past season. And to just put that all on bad coaching, I think is ridiculous. Like, yes, there was bad coaching, but there also was bad playing. And, I, you know, we talked about this many times. I think a lot of us, ourselves included, overestimated how good this roster was. And so I think you have to look at a lot of this with like sober eyes and clear eyes and maybe a fresh perspective of, well, is this person as good as we think? Or is this just someone who, relatively speaking, has stood out with this team? Uh, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things in the current NFL, as isn't necessarily that good. I, I think the cap space thing is, is worth noting this, right? So because there are so many free agents, the team has a lot of cap space. In order to fill out the roster, a lot of that cap space is going to be consumed. So I think the cap space thing can be a little overrated because the team yeah. just has so many free agents. But of course, it is true. The team does have this cap space and there is the potential to really and truly remake this roster how much of that though um you know it's hard to say right it's been a long time since washington really was supremely active in free agency you know and, and i'm not just talking about like the, the, the early dan snyder days but like name me an offseason over the last i don't know 10 15 years in which the team engineered more than i don't know one two three signings i mean that that first rivera offseason you got fitzpatrick and samuel and uh, william jackson the third so or that would be the second Rivera offseason. But like that, that's the one offseason that stands out in recent years in terms of like activity. And even that wasn't that big of a deal what the team did in that 2021 offseason. So, I, you know, the cap space. Yes, I, I, I'm not exactly uh, certain, though, that we're going to see the team go nuts in free agency or, or even make like multiple big splash signings. Maybe there are one or two. Uh, but I, I would sort of caution people on that. I, I wouldn't assume anything with what the team will do in free agency. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a good point. I think like I was having a discussion earlier today with an editor about uh, do writers sometimes get too uh, blase about stuff because they it's a bit, you know, we've seen that before and therefore you don't sort of either go forward with an with this writing about or talking about an idea or you just sort of dismiss it. This might be an example of that because the issue for the cap space to me is less about it's kind of what you're saying. Like, look, they're going to sign some people, but you know, they've got a lot of holes to fill, but it's more about who is spending the money that it's going to be the new group making those moves as opposed to, you know, if the previous regime had decided um, or had the wherewithal to um, say, Hey, let's, uh, let, let's, let's resign these players right now, or let's do more in free agency um, to save our own jobs. Right. For however that happened, whether Dan Snyder is like, hey, no more spending until the sale is done after pain or, you know, whatever that that didn't happen. So now the people who are spending the money are the people that, in theory, you want making those decisions, Peters um, and and so on. So I think that's a uh, a good aspect um, for sure. Um, I, I wrote a story last week. I can't remember about who are their free agents and uh, kind of did a little bit of a ranking and I didn't rank them. I think it was like one to 14. I didn't rank them like best players. I ranked them sort of what I thought was most um, impactful for this team to keep. And honestly, the ones I kept coming up with more 
were guys who were like for depth, like James Smith Williams and Cornelius Lucas and Jeremy Reeves and Kalik Hudson, far more than like you got to bring back Cam Curl or Kendall Fuller, um, guys like that. Because um, not saying they're not bad, it's just you know they were fine, but the the team was what it was. They're going to cost money, and uh, you know depth is uh, you got to have depth too. So. I'm I'm kind of with you. There was nobody like at the top of the free agent list. I'm like, you got to keep that guy. They don't have to keep anybody. <laughs> okay, like yeah. they don't have to re-sign anybody. They don't have to not trade anybody. I think everyone is on the table in terms of not being back with this team for next season. Um, you know, in in regards to the top two free agents, Curl and Fuller. So I think two very different cases there, right? With Curl, I think we all would agree. Good player, nice player, but doesn't make enough plays to warrant getting big money. Now, will he be able to command big money? I, I think what his market is is going to go a long way toward determining whether the commanders re-sign him. I'm really interested to see what kind of a market there is for Cam Curl. He certainly will get offers, but, I mean, teams are aware of what he is as a player, and you as a safety have a hard time commanding big money when you don't make big plays. Like, he's not an interception generator. He's not a forced fumble maker. You know, he's just a good, solid player. You need guys like that. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the talk going into this past season was, wow, Camp Curl, he could really get some big money in the 2024 offseason. You know, to me, he's not worthy of top of the market money to whatever extent that was ever a possibility. I think Kendall Fuller is that classic case of do you let him walk potentially a year too early or do you bring him back knowing that you may have kept him a year or maybe even multiple years too late? Uh, most people know this. In case you don't, Kendall Fuller underwent microfracture surgery during his time at Virginia Tech. His knees have been an issue uh, during his football career. Now, he had, I think, easily the best season of any commander's uh, certainly corner this past season, maybe even defensive back this past season. He's a smart guy. You would think that he could do some good things with a Dan Quinn, Joe Witt Jr., led defense, but at the same time, starting to get older. Okay. He's not old, like chronologically speaking, but he's been in the NFL for a while now. He's got the history with the knees. You know, are you tempting fate in giving him what you figure would be a decent money contract, at least knowing that, you know, this guy at any moment, it could go in terms of the knees and in terms of the performance. So the evaluation of Fuller, I think, is one of those uh, that you'd love to be in the room with and hear what guys like Quinn and Witt and Jason Simmons have to say but no one is a must keep I mean I don't think any tears should be shed if anyone is not resigned uh or if anyone is traded like I think you got to be open to all of this again the team was horrible <laughs> this past season and uh that's a reality that you just can't escape there's you know there are reasons that Adam Peters and Dan Quinn and all of these coaches are here now because the previous people weren't good enough the team wasn't good enough so uh, I think if there is a big-time roster overhaul, you know, nobody should be surprised. And I, I think you actually should welcome that as a good thing if, in fact, that is what happens. I think what's going to be really fascinating for me, and we may not get this answer for some time, if at all, is how much do the players who remain, how much do they look different, improved, what have you, with new coaches? I mean, I, the secondary last year obviously seemingly took a step back, if not a, a couple steps back, uh, under Brett Wieselmeyer compared to when Chris Harris was the defensive backs coach. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. In other words, can, can Forbes and St. Just and some of the safeties 
look more of the part of a starting defensive back than they did at times, which I think goes a long way also towards the saying, do we, do we need to bring back Cam Curl or Kendall Fuller? Because, like, I mean, in theory, they have safeties. You know, Quan Martin, a second-round pick. Derek Forrest looked good in 2022. And Percy Butler, you know, a, a fourth-round pick. Uh, corner, you know, they need more regardless besides Forbes and St. Juice, even if those guys are playing better. Um, I will note that, you know, as you may be aware, teams, uh, t- coaches and staffs tend to bring over people and players they're familiar with. Um, if you look at Dallas's free agents, a lot of their free agents are defensive backs. Stephon Gilmore, J. Ron Curse, Jordan Lewis, Noah, I'm going to butcher this last name. I don't even know how to say it. I'm not going to try. Um, I don't know. I don't know their situations yet with Dallas. I don't know who's likely to come back or, or, or whatnot. But, you know, I would bet good money that one of those guys comes over just because, you know, Washington didn't just take on um, Joe Witt, who was a, um, you know, they, they took on a guy who was in charge of the secondary, essentially, as you were pointing out. And then on top of it, one of the first, you know, main hires they made as a position coach was another defensive backs coach. So I, I feel like that position is going to get a lot of attention. And um, that's the thing. It's not just saying you, you bring back Kendall Fuller. It's saying, okay, well, who are you replacing him with? And you can never know for sure, but I won't be stunned if one or these guys, at least it, it comes over. And that's a factor when you look at who needs to be kept. Cause I'm with you. I would, I don't think any of the top guys for Washington need to be kept. Yeah. And, and you know, it is hard to overhaul an entire roster in one off season. So, you know, maybe there isn't as much change as there could be, or you could argue should be, you know, I think back to to the last time we had this, going back to that first offseason with Rivera 2020. And, you know, it's funny looking back on this now, but if you remember, they actually had what ended up looking like a really nice offseason with a lot of low-cost, high-upside signings. When you look back on Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick and Cornelius Lucas and Wes Schweitzer and Ronald Darby, and those guys on low-money contracts actually ended up outperforming those contracts and that was the best offseason uh for ron during his tenure here and that is the value in free agency right the the real value in free agency is not with the splash signing even though the splash signing can work i mean there are plenty of examples of splash signings working but the real value is you get a guy on a low money contract short-term contract a prove-it contract but a guy with upside a guy who has played well or maybe you feel like can play well and you hope that the guy outperforms the contract. And Washington actually got a good bit of that in 2020. And I wonder if that's the route that uh, Adam Peters Moore will go in free agency this offseason. The team, like we said, has the cap space to make big money signings. So maybe we do see that for the first time in a while. But generally speaking, I mean, you talk to people around the NFL, they, they all will tell you the same thing. The value is not in like the mega money signing. The value is in, you know, you get Ronald Darby on some one year nothing contract in 2020. And he statistically ends up being one of the best cover corners in the 2020 season, as Darby was. I mean, it sounds kind of funny saying that now. He was really good for this team in that 2020 season. And um, so, you know, there may be a whole bunch of guys like that who Adam Peters uh, and the coaches are identifying. You know, that's the thing, right? We, we've we've dissected what happened during the Rivera four years a lot. And we've talked about the front office. And I really think, look, nothing is I can't prove anything, but I really do wonder how much better this team would have been consistently if Rivera had just simply not changed out the front office. Now, I I think there was more to it than that. I think there's been some notion of Dan Snyder wanted anybody linked to Bruce Allen out and Kyle Smith and others were. Uh, so maybe it doesn't matter. But, you know, that first year, 
you know, like you said, Ronald Darby, Logan Thomas, J.D. McKissick, like they had a lot of guys like that. But then also, even in the draft, you know, two seventh rounders, Cam Curl and James Smith Williams, both made uh, an impact. And, uh, you know, it was as hard, you know, as we saw with this year's draft, it was getting a lot harder as time went on to to say on either level, either the, the low key free agents. I mean, again, the only player who made a pro bowl that was that was that Rivera didn't inherit was Chase Young and he essentially inherited that pick that became Chase Young so yeah they it's just unfortunate they just never could figure out what to do and we'll see if Adam Peters um can get that done speaking of Chase Young um I don't, I don't think I brought the I don't think I mentioned him in the last in my Super Bowl sort of rundown do you have any warm fuzzies watching Chase Young <laughs> um he had, a, he had a sack he was more involved in the first half he did a good job. He was not having a great postseason, as I think most people know, but he did have a good Super Bowl, so I commend him for that. I mean, look, I am a lifelong Washington fan. I'm not one of these fans, though, who like obsesses over players once they leave the team. Like, I don't think that that's healthy, and I think that, honestly, with our team, we have enough to talk about and focus on to where like, you know, keeping tabs on every former Washington player around the NFL will drive you nuts. I mean, I hate what ended up happening with Chase Young here. You know, the fact that that pick did not work out the way that it was supposed to work out is really bad for so many reasons. But, you know, I don't look at Chase and say to myself, like, oh, I hope he's terrible, you know? Just like I don't look at Trent Williams and say, oh, I hope he struggles. Like, I hate how Trent left here. I think he gets a free pass from a lot of people with how he left here. But I don't think Trent's some awful hurt human being or anything like that. And I'm glad that he's doing well, like good for him, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I, I'm, I'm not bothered by it. You know, I'm more bothered by we spent a second overall pick on an edge guy who ended up not being close to what he was supposed to be uh, with this team. By the way, do you ever think about the conversations that Chase Young, Trent Williams, and Kyle Shanahan must have about Washington? Now, maybe things are different now, you know, new regime. Kyle said all those nice things about Adam Peters and Dan Quinn, but like <laughs> you think about a bitter Bob conversation, Chase, Trent, and Kyle. I can only imagine uh, the kind of conversation they had to have had at some point regarding uh, Washington. All right, we needed the Hard Knocks Forty ers <laughs> version uh, for that. Um, absolutely, but it is also a good point, right? I mean, I remember when Peters got introduced, Kyle Shanahan. He said nice things about Kyle Shanahan, and I think I tweeted that it has to be the first time somebody out of this building has said something nice about that guy you know, in almost a decade and same the other way, as you're saying that, like, you know, it is one of the benefits of Dan Snyder being gone. I mean, among the many is that certain feuds and spats can all go away. And now a whole nother bunch will, will come up, but hopefully these will be the kind of, you know, Dak Prescott, Jalen hurts. Screw that guy. Tony or Sirianni. Who does he think he is? But as opposed to, you know, it's a new normal that we so deserved. And, you know, I can just tell you, like, from my perspective, doing what I do, I can't tell you how much I love not having to talk about investigations anymore and, and you know, not having to do like these segments where you feel like it's this tedious subject matter that you have to talk about. You can't not talk about it. It's such a big deal with what was going on with the team. But you know it's not why people follow sports. I know that there is a sizable portion of the fan base that didn't enjoy hearing about that stuff, regardless of like how much the fans may have despised Dan Snyder. It's like you want to hear about football. You follow sports for enjoyment. You don't follow sports you know, for, for some sort of 
government class or social studies class. And yet that's what it became. And so to just not have that stuff has been so nice. I mean, I think about this past season, Ben, we had these NFL owners meetings and we didn't care. Like we didn't have to care. We didn't have to talk about who said what, who showed up, who was representing who. You know, there was none of that this past season. Now, that's not to say that this past season was some dream season because it wasn't. It was horrible. The team was terrible. But it was really nice to not have to get sucked into the vortex of league meetings, league investigations, et cetera. Uh, That is good. And I love that this offseason, all we're talking about is football stuff. You know, we may not love everything. We may have questions about things, but it's all football stuff. None of this is about uh, the off the field stuff that uh, we got consumed by these last few years. Uh, last Monday, not th- not yesterday, but the previous Monday, the superstar of Super Bowl week, Roger Goodell was giving his State of the League press conference, and it was all on a television in the media room here. And at one point during it, I said what you just said to people. I'm like, isn't this unbelievable? Roger Goodell is talking and none of us care. You know, I mean, as long as he doesn't bring up the commanders in, in any way, shape or form, it, it was, you know. To let other people, yeah, sure, whatever other topics you got going on, you know, go ahead. But yeah, it's not, it's not about this team for once. It's great. It's it's and, and it's like it was such the norm for so long that it's like we don't know a norm without this. Almost, you know, like because really, since I mean, you could argue since Dan bought the team, but certainly since the summer of 2020, when everything blew up with the name and the ownership turmoil and this, the workplace misconduct scandal. From that point forward, you basically had three-plus years of just nonstop controversy, nonstop bad stuff with the team, and it was draining. And, and, and it really took a toll, I think, on anyone who is a fan of this team. Being a fan of the team was about the football and the other stuff. And, you know, the other stuff needed to go away, and thankfully – it has gone away, and uh, hopefully it stays away uh, for a very long time. I know we still have the stadium thing. You know, the name thing still comes up. But, like, those are more normal off-the-field issues that I think we can grapple with, you know, occasionally, right? Uh, but the other stuff, thankfully, is done. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, we don't. We only have to worry about making sure we don't miss any of Al Galdi's podcasts. I particularly like the ones where he uh... – talks up the Orioles because, uh, you know, similar to this team, haven't had a chance to do that much over the years, but, uh, you know, new owner, fantastic farm system, young town. I mean, you know, that team's going places. So uh, always want to make sure you check it out for everything. But, you know, as an Orioles fan, I would say that, 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 that part always warms my heart. Well, I appreciate that very much. You know, as I talk about on my podcast all the time, there are many combo commanders, Orioles fans in this area because there was no MLB team in D.C. 1972 through 2004. And so if you are in your like mid to late 30s, 40s, 50s, there's a good chance you're an Orioles fan, not a Nationals fan. That's not a shot at the Nats. It's just the reality of this area for multiple decades. And You think about if you are a combo Commanders Orioles fan, how you're feeling these days and the unthinkable truth that Dan Snyder sold the Commanders last July and the Angelos family now is in the process of selling the Orioles and the Orioles are loaded like they have not been in decades in terms of, like you said, the great farm system. It is something. 
You know, in 1983, right, the O's won the World Series and the Skins won a second consecutive NFC championship. Didn't win the Super Bowl, although they early in that calendar year did win the Super Bowl. But you probably have to go back to that time for the last time both teams were really good. I guess, you know, 2012, Skins won the NFC East, O's made the playoffs. But, you know, it's been a long time since both teams were in a good place. Commanders aren't there yet, right? We can't count on that. But uh, wouldn't it be something if both teams got back uh, to where they have been? I mean, I couldn't agree more. The similarities don't end there between the both owners. They came in, had some kind of immediate success, like the commanders made the playoffs. The Orioles linked it as well. And as I recall, one of the deals was that like Angelos nixed a deal that was going to send, I want to say like Bobby Bonilla somewhere else to get like prospects because they weren't playing that well. And then he said no. And then all of a sudden they had a big hot streak, make the playoffs. And he thought he had all the answers. And that led to him meddling the way it did for Snyder for all those years. But past is the past. We only have good things to look forward to. At least that's what we're hoping uh, in here. And that's why, you know, it's fun to uh, imagine what this coaching staff is going to look like in full because it can be viewed, whether it works out, it can be viewed as positive. Whereas before it was always like, oh boy, it doesn't really matter who's coming in here. It is going to stink. Um Al, you rule. I appreciate it. I look forward to chatting with you next week if you're uh, still willing to have me, and uh, we will talk soon. I am still willing to have you. We will have a lot to discuss, and uh, thank you very much. All right. Big thanks to Al Galdi. Again, thanks to Nikki Jabala. Thanks to everybody here for taking the time to check out the podcast. Um, I'll have an article by the time you hear this up on The Athletic, by the way. Uh, my thoughts on the staff. I'll be honest, a lot of it you've already heard here. But nonetheless, if you like to read or you have, or, you know, for whatever reason, you just, you know, you're on the athletic, you want to read more. There you go. All right. That is it for now. We'll have, pl- oh, by the way. So again, the coordinators are talking tomorrow with Kingsbury and Wit. I'll write about that as well. And I think after that, we really start pivoting towards the transactions, uh, free agency, and the draft, obviously, the combine is rapidly around the corner. And, you know, with the number two pick in the draft, is not you can't talk enough about this. So we will do that for sure. That is it for now, though. Ben Stanton.